All right. Uh, good evening, everybody, and, and welcome to 2023. I'm your host, Kevin Mark, and we are here with uh, a realtor in the area of California. I'm going to let him introduce himself and uh, we'll get started. But we want to thank our listeners. We have worldwide listeners, and I'm really surprised to see the people in Germany. Thank you so much. Uh, and also, we have some listeners. We picked up some listeners in Tahiti. Thank you as well. Once again, my name is Kevin Mark. I'm here with Richard McNeil, and he is a realtor and a broker in the San Francisco Bay Area. Richard? How you doing, Kevin? Good evening, everyone. This is uh, Richard McNeil, as he previously mentioned, uh, a real estate broker as well as a mortgage broker. Um, focused in the state of California and the real estate side, we uh, are handling the greater Bay Area. Happy to be here. Okay. So, Richard, uh, give our viewers what you think is pertinent about your life in America. Where did you start? Uh, how did you get into the real estate business? And uh, what, what what drove you to be into the real estate business? Well, uh, just in general, I'm, I'm a New Yorker. So I was born and raised in New York. At the age of 19, I moved to California and uh, pursued, um, finished college. Okay. So I finished college, went to a couple of different colleges and Ended up getting a job in Fresno, of all places. Okay. Um, went to Fresno State. Got a job in Fresno with Pepsi-Cola. And then I ended How up... How old were you then? How old were you? Uh, I had just got out of college. I was about 23. 23, okay. 23 at that time. I had gone back to New York for a summer and decided it's not the place for me. Okay. And I, I needed to get away from there. All so, right. Need to make an adjustment, huh? Yes, a major adjustment. <laughs> major adjustment. So how did it. you? How did you? What made you pick California? I mean, what, what, I mean, that's coast to coast. That's a coast to coast adjustment. Yes, brother. Yes. Well, uh, I had a girlfriend from Brooklyn. Okay. And uh, she said that M word to me, and it shook me so much to the core that I decided I need to move states. <laughs> and so I left New York in a hurry. Okay. That along with a few other uh, reasons, and it was. Collectively good enough for me to decide on the farthest place I could be without getting wet. Okay. So it was either Hawaii, which I would have gotten wet, right. or California. So I chose California. California. Okay. Okay. Tell us a little bit about your, how did you decide to, to move from Pepsi school and now you are a broker, a mortgage broker and a real estate broker. So, so how did that come about? Or what did you... Or what were your other career aspirations? Well, I had a lot of career aspirations. I was generally a professional manager because I, I majored in business, um, business operations, and, and got an, an MBA later in, in San Francisco State. However, <clears throat> that's a very good question. You may be just old enough to remember all those late night infomercials. Right. Yeah. yeah. And they had one. Yeah. They had one on with this gentleman named Carlton Fisk. And he would always talk about investing in real estate and how you could be a millionaire by investing in real estate. All you had to do, you didn't need any money, there was no cash down, this or that. So I would listen to him for years because I'm, I'm a night owl by nature. And uh, I would be up late working. TV would be on. And his infomercials would be on, and we'd sit there and start listening to the infomercials. Okay, okay. About 10 years after that, I finally decided, you know, let me get up and buy one of these programs to see what it's all about. Right, okay. So I started uh, investing in real estate. I was making 
Good Money in Corporate America. So I had a little change and uh, they showed you some different different options to invest without money. Some worked, some didn't, but I, I became an investor. Oh well. And started working and my friends were like, man, this is, that's great, you're, you're, you're doing well. So being who and what you are, a black man, did you find it uh, more challenging or did you kind of just have the kind of mindset, whatever's in front of me, I'm, 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 uh, or did you ever feel like you were getting some raw deals because of who you are or do you feel like it, 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 it's there because you know you hear a lot of people now say well you know prejudice and racism don't exist or, or, or it's, it's out there for everybody if you if you get it you know if you grab yeah. for it yeah that's a that's a loaded question uh, <clears throat> I, I experienced uh, through investing but more so in corporate America um, um, the racism part and, and more so a conscious, an unconscious bias. Really, okay. uh, people weren't necessarily overt in it, but they didn't even realize because it was so commonplace right. to do certain things uh, that it was just natural for them to question me. Right. And that was within the norm of the organization to, you know, you got to look out for uh, this type of person or that type of person. Uh, and being that I was very successful with everything I did, uh, they would always want to question me, and, and some of it was jealousy, and some of it was the combination of jealousy and prejudice. Okay. And so, yeah, I experienced all that. And, and investing, truth be told, it was a little bit more money. So it's, it's, it's the dollars add up. Does it make sense? Okay. So I experienced less racism in investing than I did in corporate America, where you had positions, you had uh -huh. a limited amount of people vying for those positions. Okay. And you and you know you could get a bad record. I, my entire family is military, and they said some of the ways to uh, mess somebody up on their promotion track is you don't have to really do them in. You just have to give them one below excellent score. Right. And that's enough to side rail. Oh yeah. And that's the kind of politics that we that I faced. Okay. I would win, let's say, director of the month for, or of the quarter. Right. Three quarters in a row. But yet I'd get um, some kind of arbitrary write-up for something. Right. Something minor. Okay. And, you know, little things like that were used to control your uh, path for promotion in corporate America. Okay. So, you know, but in, in real estate investing, it was a, a lot had to do with just what I decided to do, the decisions I could make now. I would tell you that um, a... A young black man going out knocking on doors to um, other people who are necessarily not minorities, even minorities, right, uh, would look at you and say, how, "How are you going to buy my house when I'm struggling?" Right. So there was race. This racism in America is built on racism, and that's just the way it is. That's <laughs> okay. just the way it is. Okay. So let's take racism uh, out of it then. And how would you say overall your life is in America then? If you take if you take racism out of it. And overall, uh, and, and you visited and been around a lot of places in the world. What is your view on, on your life in America? Well, um, that's a, another good question. I think it's all about attitude. My mother used to tell me, boy, <laughs> if I have misled you to think that life is fair, I have done you a grave injustice. You, if you think life is fair, it, it, you're just off. It's right. not fair, but you still have to win. Right. Period. Okay, I like that. So she didn't accept any excuses. So much to the point where 
when I face racism, I just had to kind of throw it over my shoulder and keep moving through it. Right. Yeah, it's there. Right. Yeah, it's it's in front of me. Yeah, this is not fair. This decision is not. I should have received that promotion. I'm the top director in the country. This guy is like rolling up on the bottom two thirds. Right. But they promote him over me. What is that about? Okay, but you know what? I can't get distracted. Right. I still have to pursue this. Keep your eye on the prize. Keep my eye on the prize. That's the only way. Uh, you know, and some people have it easier, but in, in the organizations I, I was in, and we were highly compensated. Okay. So promotion's been a lot. And um, I just had to do it that way, or I could sit on the side of the road and cry all day. Right. So, so now that you know that and you've lived that, how do you talk to future generations, or how do you... When you see a young and up-and-coming buck comes into your company, hey, I'm a hard charger, this is Neil, what you got, what you got. How do you sort it out when you hire people now? Or, or what is your what is your choice? How, how, you know, how do you make those decisions? Or do you look for certain things? Well, I, let me tell you a little bit of a story. Um, uh, I was a very successful manager in sales, very okay. successful director in sales. And I controlled the uh, Northern California, and particularly my early branches were Oakland and San Francisco. Okay. And <laughs> some people came in from college and they were going to interview and I hired a gentleman and then he went down to our San Jose office and they were shocked that I hired him. And, and he said, why are you guys shocked that he hired me? And they said to him, because Rich only hires black people. <laughs> Which was not true. Okay. <laughs> I hired qualified people. Okay. But the problem with that particular company was they just didn't attract or have any outlets or communication with minorities. Right. So there are plenty of qualified minorities, but they just didn't have do any... the outreach. Exactly. Okay. Know how to do it, uh, be associated with any groups that could, so they hired non-minorities. Right. Okay. So when I had access to these qualified, talented people... I would hire them regardless of who they were, and they were just surprised when the white person walked through the door and I hired them because I had a, a, a slew of very talented black people. Right, okay. And particularly since I was the a member of the National Black MBA Association and uh, I was the director of corporate engagement to help those ties for corporations trying to find qualified minorities because okay. they recognized they had that problem. Right. Right. So, okay. That was very interesting. But the way I deal with them, uh, people who come in now, it's a little bit different. You know, times times transition just like we do, right? Right. So I, I wouldn't say it's as great of a problem. I don't think the problem has gone away, but it, it's just uh, a quieter. Right. It's like the difference between being down south where they just tell you they don't like you. Right. Or being in California where they just hide it. Yeah. They don't like you, but they still just... <laughs> <laughs> they tolerate you. <laughs> tolerate you. Exactly. Right, right. So, you know, you got a pretty successful career. What do you do to relax? And what are, what are some things that Richard says, hey, you know what, I'm taking the day off. From, what, what, what is your, you know, what is your relax? Well, like? I'm, I'm a, uh, a certified workaholic. And so I, I, I really don't get to relax during the goal of it. But what I do do is I, even when I was in corporate America, I would find different ways to try to take about a month off. Uh, and, and fortunately, I was in positions um, where I could um, attain a certain amount of success 
and I was afforded the opportunity to take that time off. Okay. Like a, a mini sabbatical. And I've continued that as I go. As a matter of fact, I just came back from Africa in a month. Wow, Africa. What was that like? That was amazing. That was amazing. Um, I climbed Mount Kilimanjaro, something that uh, was well, on the bucket Congratulations. That's, that's, a, that's, that's, a, that's definitely a bucket list achievement, right? Yeah, How long it, did it take to climb that? It took four and a half days. We were supposed to go six days, but uh, my man... <laughs> He looked back at me and said, would you like to take a picture of this? I said, man, let's get to the top of the mountain before I pass out. Then we could take pictures on the way down. Okay. So, I, you know, if I didn't take the pictures on the top of the mountain, I wouldn't believe I went up all 19,341 feet. So I'm glad I took the pictures, but that was, uh, it was very challenging, one of the most challenging, physically challenging things and mentally that I've done in, in a bit. So. What did you do to prepare for that, to go up? that mountain or what and what made you pick that mountain anyway i mean why did you pick say mount everest or something here and you know what what just just you pointed shooting point what, 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 <laughs> point shoot? number one mount everest is the tallest mountain on the planet and uh so i stuck with what they call the big seven so um mount everest being number one mount kilimanjaro is the tallest mountain in africa okay and it's uh number six on the big seven list okay so it was a affordable uh, challenge and uh, it was in Africa I wanted to go to Africa okay I wanted to kind of uh, go and experience I, I'm a world traveler so I travel around the world and that's kind of what I do to kind of loosen up and, and stretch out I go to other places and see how they're at how, how they are right and um, kind of rolling around to the prior question is you know I like to see how people are actually living in other places and it gives me an appreciation to understand that even though things might be perceived a certain way in America, chances are I'm probably still better off than I would be in other places. Oh, yeah. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I've been around the world, too, and, and there's some places I've been, and uh, you, you'd be amazed at how even though we have our challenges and our struggle, I'm still proud to say that I'm an American. Oh, absolutely. You know. Absolutely. Definitely, definitely. So, <clears throat> what do you think... Uh, is going on now with the real estate market and how things are progressing this year? Good question. I think nobody knows. You know, I, I tell this to a lot of my clients for mortgages. They get this question with interest rates and I get this question with uh, property values. Okay. Nobody knows. And if somebody tells you they know, they're lying. You to need you. to run away quickly. <laughs> Very quickly. Um, we just don't know. This. These are some of the strangest times, whether it's in the stock markets, whether it's buying crypto, any kind of investing long-term, it's nobody knows. We're in uncharted territory. The markets haven't responded the way they traditionally do. Nothing is responding traditionally. Even uh, the state of the American economy, which they keep saying, hey, we're gonna get a recession, we're gonna get a recession. And the next day, no, it looks like we're gonna be okay. And the next day, it looks like we're gonna hit hard. And then the next day, no, I don't think we're gonna hit hard. We right. might get out of this. So no one knows. Right. But they'll make a they'll make a lot of money convincing you that they do. Right. And and they sell a lot of books and magazines and prescriptions getting you emotionally tied into everything from left to right. It takes you back to, to those infomercials, right? Absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> it takes you right back to if if you were to use this interview as a venue to talk to your children and how, how many children do you have? 
Uh, I have a, a good amount of children. <laughs> <laughs> if you were to use this interview as a venue to speak to them, what, 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 what would be your advice to them right now? Well, um, kind of circling back to your last question, other people, young people, um, I look at young people as my children because I feel like that I have a responsibility to them. I feel like... Okay, so you uh, kind of feel like you're in a mentor role when you yes, show up? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Abs- absolutely. Uh, been playing sports all my life. Uh, I feel like young people need mentors. Okay. Uh, for those that will listen, you know? But that's hard now, Richard, because, you know, uh, you know, you go out there, you roll up on these young cats, you know, they got their pants down behind their behind their behinds and, and, and they're not they're, you know they don't want to listen to right. how do you how do you how do you how do you get through to that to, to let them know that your appearance what you say and all these other things matter you know and how do you, how do you how do you do that actively well game recognizes game and I, I will tell you um, they're not they're, they're they're very intelligent young men and women out there in the strangest places. And just because they act or talk a certain way uh, doesn't mean they have a lack of intelligence. Now, some, you're going to find in, in every area, there's a few leaders and a lot of followers. Right, okay. Uh, I tend to attract the leaders, and they tend to want to hear my story. My father told me a long time ago, Rich, don't help anybody who doesn't want your help because they will end up hating you and you will be the bad guy. Okay. So I don't go out and recruit. I go out and I find those who, who want to follow the Pied Piper. So it's, it's, it's so you don't per se have an actor mentorship or mentor program. It is sort of like happenstance if you connect with a young person or whatever and they, and they show you an interest in bettering their lives or themselves. You... Well, uh, yes and no. I am uh, part of a group in, in Oakland who does mentorships for uh, young people who are trying to trans- make the transition from high school to college for the first time. So, so what they do is they'll match me up with other young athletes So I, because that's a whole different game right. uh, in college being a collegiate athlete, particularly a Division One athlete, uh, versus just being a regular college-going athlete, college, uh, person. So I do do that uh, officially. But I also have some organizations uh, in the National Black NBA Association. We have a group called Leaders of Tomorrow. Okay. We're working with young people and trying to give them an opportunity to have exposure to things. Also, uh, I'm a Mason, and we have a group called the Knights of Pythagoras. So um, I've taken steps this uh, earlier this year um, to try to get some of the resources and see what their needs are so we can really... Uh, bring that all together up here in Northern California. And what we're trying to do between the National Black NBA Association, uh, the Masons of California, and and other venues, we're trying to find maybe a system that works for young people all throughout the year so they can go from one program to the next program. And we can take them, uh, based on the different strengths of each organization, from youth all the way to getting that first job with corporate America. Okay. Because uh, in Northern California, we have Silicon Valley, and they're looking for qualified uh, people uh, to bring into those high-tech jobs. Right, okay. And so we're a natural venue, um, getting them prepared in life to be successful in life, getting them prepared to go into education right through the National Black MBA Association, um, getting them connected from 
the college education to an opportunity to interview. Right, right. So you you really are trying to short circuit that that school to jail pipeline, that school to prison. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a bad pipeline right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. you know, unfortunately, um, you know, I, I joke about it, but that pipeline, and not necessarily for any fault of a lot of individuals, that pipeline is almost a standard pipeline for. Now you're a young man, but um, people in our age group, I would, I'm being very broad here. Right, like 25 now or something. You know? So within that age right. group, I mean, that's almost a natural progression. I, I could go back to New York, um, be in an auditorium, and you would be in a minority if you never spent a day in jail. Wow. Yeah. Just because back in the 70s and 80s, I mean, if you're black and you're in New York. Chances are you're going to probably get picked up for right. some bogus situation and and be forced to be in jail for oh, a day yeah, or two. Yeah, so yeah. when you the moment you say New York, the first thing that comes to mind is the Central. What was it called? The Central Park Six. Mm-hmm. When they got picked up and that uh, woman that got raped or right, and, and they had they weren't even in the area and everybody just refused. And they were forced and coerced to, yeah. to give testimony. Yeah, uh, the yeah they, they basically tortured them. Yeah. And, you know, after so much sleep deprivation and, mm-hmm. and people screaming at you, you say yeah to just about anything, you know? Some people will. Yeah. <laughs> Some people will. Right, right, right. So, what are your aspirations then going forward? Are you trying to bring your company up to another level of hiring? Or do you have any aspirations for changing your company setups or, or, or yes. what do you think you're looking at? Well, um, I'm really looking to advance my, um, my mortgage company. Unfortunately, I went through a series of deaths in my family in 2017. Very sorry to hear that. Appreciate that. And, um, you know, that delayed because I, I'm the uh, de facto leader of the family. My mother passed and my father passed. One was in Florida, one was in New York. And then a series of my nieces and nephews and, and other cousins and things have passed. So that kind of sidetracked me, derailed me. And then COVID came. So COVID hit everybody. Yeah, absolutely. So trying to get uh, my licenses. I got my mortgage company established under the new laws of California, uh, the California Finance Lenders Law, and the new laws of the, the national law, the uh, national MLS multiple listing service. Uh, okay. I'm mixing up the two comp- the two licenses. The multiple listing services, real estate. Okay. The uh, NMLS is the mortgage side, the licensing body. Okay. And so between uh, that and COVID, it really slowed down the process of getting licensed in every aspect in order to do financial business in California as a company. So we finally got that through in 2019 um, because we used to do lending prior under the real estate license. And okay. You can do that, and I could still do that, but I wanted a separate entity, separate company that focused just on that because with the thought of uh, growing that company. So we're delayed with COVID, but we're going to uh, bring on people. We've got all the licenses, all the banks, all the contracts, everything lined up. Processing. Are you looking for any military people? Are you hiring? We may. We may. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk. We'll talk. Offline. Right. We'll talk. Uh, but what I'm going to do is more than likely go into the colleges and try to give them an opportunity to get some real work experience. Okay. Just, uh, you know, and, and see if the colleges will work with me to allow that to transition into real work credits 
right. toward their toward their degree. degree. Right. Because I think with the only downside of this this the education system today is it, it teaches you to fit into the system. It doesn't teach you to real practical things. Like I think they should teach you how to buy a house. Right. Because that's the number one way to build wealth and and allow your family to um, go from one financial system to another financial system. You said to build wealth, but in the black community, would it be better to say generational wealth? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, the generational wealth uh, starts with one person at a time. Right. The problem that's happened is uh, we've had generations of people who could not, by law, have access to loans to buy Property. Property. Right. And property is the number one way to build wealth. Right. So, 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 so let's stop there for just a minute because here's the thing. So historically, we all know the history of, of America and those types of things, but you just said something crucial. Now, you, you, you alluded to how your mother would talk to you, but I want to bring out something because my father really didn't talk to me too much. You know, he was more of a product of what it was for that era. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm teaching you how to survive. I'm teaching you how to live. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm, I'm worried about today and tomorrow. Mm-hmm. I'm not really looking at the future. So uh, how did your dad relate to you about a career or, you know, just trying to make it in life? Well, I'm glad you said that because the general attitude of people, um, and it sounds like we probably came up in similar neighborhood type things, whether it's uh, on the East Coast, West Coast, or wherever. Right. Is if your name is Johnny Bobby or anything like that, you're already set up and it's already in your family to know what junior high, what elementary school to go to. Right. So you can get into the right junior high, which will allow you to get into the right senior high, which will put you in the best position to get into the right college. Right. Okay. So you have a path built. Right. And from the time you are born, there's a path built from generations ago of learning. Okay. If you're a minority, especially if you're an inner city minority, by the time you're 21, they're like, oh, you're still here. Right. You're not dead. Yeah. Oh, well, in that case, now let's get you started. Right. And often we start behind the cup because there's not a lot of opportunities. It's not, we're not on a, uh, an automatic path. Right. So, so, so you alluded to your, your mom, but what was your communication like with your, with your, with your dad? My dad was great. I had, uh, my dad was great for me because he had a tragic life. Uh, when I say tragedy, he grew up uh, with a single parent, with his mother. Okay. And um, she raised um, five children. So my dad had four four brothers and um, no three brothers and, and, and a sister. Okay. So they grew up without a dad. Um, my grandmother uh, married another gentleman who they recognized as their dad, but they made a pact that they would uh, always be in there for their children, so their children would have a better situation than they did. So my relationship with my dad was good. My dad, my dad was calm, cool, and smooth. My mother was wild and crazy. So when. <laughs> Whenever I got in trouble, my dad would say, "That's your mother and you, boy." That's your mother. <laughs> but my dad Who was, was a disciplinarian. Your my mom, mother. Your mother. My mother. <laughs> my mother. I'm sorry. I was raised in the days of whoopings and spankings. <laughs> right. Not spankings. Whoopings. Right. 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 <laughs> my mother would whoop us 
And my, my, my brother would be like, man, I'm scared, Rich. And my, my mother would say things like, you keep crying. I'm going to let your dad whoop you when he gets home. And I would go, ah, because I wanted my dad to whoop me. Right. Because my dad, you know, he, he wasn't a disciplinarian like that. He'd pat you on the butt a couple times and send you on the way. My mother, whoo, that woman was crazy. It was a but, therapy session for her. Yeah, but but I'm going to tell you, you know, that's a good question. Because some of my, it, it would either make you or break you. Right. But my mother, well, the reason, <laughs> the reason I really appreciated my mother is because I know motive. And that when I'm dealing with a lot of people, I say, well, what's their motive? Right. right. People do a lot of things, a lot of things. But I said, what's their motive? My mother's motive was, I don't want my son to get killed out here because he is not strong enough. Right. And unfortunately, uh, a black man in America, being ignorant and not attuned to things, right. will get, can get killed yeah. with a higher rate than most other. Right. And so, and then be told, hey, don't worry about that. We'll fix it. Right. Let me say, if if somebody else's children are getting killed, uh, they'd be wanting to raise up and fix things a lot quicker right, than right, they're being yeah. fixed right now. In our family, I had uh, <clears throat> I had a cousin. Me and him were born a day apart. So our mothers, my aunt and my mom, uh, girl, I just beat they behind. Mm-hmm. I'm sending them over to you. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh yeah, <laughs> you know. And and, and and that's and, and it's so funny now because my relationship with my son is night and day different than when we were in the house together. Now that he has kids and he sees what the struggles are right. and, and understands right. that you you're not gonna you know, he used to get on me all the time about not making his football games. Mm-hmm. I'm like, hey, I'm supporting you. You got the uniforms that go to you, you got the, the fees, you got the shoes, you got the insurance, whatever. Why do you, or how do you think that's happening? Is because even though I'm not there, I'm working right. so that you can do what you want to do. Right. You know, but but it, it, it takes them moving out on their own and getting hit with the bills. He used to leave a TV on every night <laughs> in the room. Yeah, you're like mine. Yeah, you know. But see, what the, the part that they're missing out of that is the whole, the total education part of. The reason you have to work and work that hard is because for generations you weren't able to get a VA loan. Right. Yeah. You know, minorities were only able to get a VA, yeah. VA loans not until too recently. Um, okay. And and so uh, I used Johnny and Bobby. Johnny and Bobby, they could get that. So they had a home. Right. So they could use some equity in that home to refinance and use that cash to pay for college educations. So right. they're not in debt for college. Yeah, but college payments. education, that's a, that's a whole nother interview. But, but that they could, college cost is yeah, crazy now. Yeah. yeah, but they could use that to right. get by if they needed to buy a car, if they needed to you know, pay off some short-term debt. Right. So it, it, it puts you at a disadvantage right. because if you didn't work, then you didn't have a house to go home to or you didn't have any food to put in that house. So, right. yeah, it takes sometimes being a parent to understand um, what, it, what you have to go through when you're in a position of authority and you have choices to make yeah. it's, it's a very different role and, and when they get kids my son does the same thing when he's got his kids he's like dad now I understand oh my god I'm like no you don't you just start now <laughs> you ain't understand because you're still asking me for money so right you won't understand until they start asking you for money right right so my daughter is 35 and uh, I still don't want her to feel as though she's in the world by herself right I think every father just has a different 
feeling about their daughter. I mean, you, you, it's not that you don't love your son any less mm -hmm. or any more, but I think it's just always a dad and daughter. We, we call it the dad and daughter closet. You know, when we go in there and just sort of like have conversations in the sense of just, mm -hmm. hey, and you know, she sometimes she, you know, she shares some things with me here and there, but uh, she's not married. She doesn't have any kids. But I can think sometimes I feel how uh, it, it creeps up on in the sense of just being. That's funny you say that. Yeah. Because I have nieces the same way. Yeah. And I was helping the niece. And one of my buddies says, well, what's going on with that? I'm like, well, I got to help her. She's a, even my baby over there. She goes, isn't she 35? And I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. She is. Right. <laughs> so in our minds, you know, if you're in that position where you are fortunate enough to help out, whether it's, um, it doesn't have to necessarily be financially, but uh, right. even um, just knowledge-wise, yeah. experience-wise, if you're able to help, you feel obligated. And that's what I try to sell on my sons. Right. Hey, I'm obligated to the make the, the next generation better. Right. And that's what you, and my expectation for you, you guys, and there's New York's juice guys, <laughs> right. uh, is to make sure that you guys have an expectation for your children to be even higher than that. But I want to go back to one thing real quick. My mother, uh, she was the disciplinarian, but you know what I realized? You don't have a book on parenting. Right. And the reason I appreciated my mother was because she was strong enough to step up and do the best that she could for what she knew. For what she had, yeah. For what she knew, and she was in there right. to make it happen, right? She was in there to make us strong. She was in there to make us successful. Right. And, you know, like I said, it's going to make you or break you. And uh, for me, it was very beneficial and it helped me. And me and my mother had a wonderful opportunity. I would bring her back to California and she was still trying to start stuff. I'm like, you just, you just a stuff starter, aren't you? <laughs> I talk to her differently now. So right, like, right. You're just a stuff starter. I done flew you to California first class so we can go up to the wineries. Right. That was a big joke. <laughs> because when I was in New York, she used to have, she used to want to be a wine connoisseur. So there's this uh, company called Gallo Wine. Right. Oh, yeah. They used to have these boxes, <laughs> yeah. these box wines. Yeah. She would be uh, doing that with her Johnny Walker white lady. Right. <laughs> thinking she's doing it. So I'm like, Mom, come out to California. I'm going to take you some real wineries. Okay. So we're at Flyer Out. And uh, we had we were having a really good time in the latter years of her life. So that's that's good, man, that you, 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 you had an opportunity to kind of do something for them before they, you know, before they pass. Because, uh, yeah, I, I tell you, man, uh, my mother, uh, she was a d real disciplinarian. And like you said, back in the day, <laughs> it would be called something That's different now. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I think our weapons were, were actually there before my mother, to be quite honest. <laughs> yeah, don't get me started. <laughs> and, and, and the that. fact that I look just like my father, yeah. that's, another, that's a whole other interview. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You know, uh, but, but uh, I want to be able to say that I motivated my children mm -hmm. to do better. Mm -hmm. You know, I wanted to be uh, a good example. You fall down, but you get back up. Yes, it's not fair, but you get back up. Uh, you 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 keep running your race until until it's that time. You know, and and and, and that's what I, I I try to be a good example. Am I perfect? No, but I think I have a better understanding of being able to try to relate to my son and his children and my daughter 
and I just want her to know that hey, you know, I'm always in your corner, and you, and you know, you you don't have to worry about a hidden agenda with me, right? You know, and I think that's what I try to convey to her uh, the most, because sometimes I think uh, you know a lot of self doubt right. comes in there, and but it's harder now because you know when we were coming up, you could walk down the street, shake somebody's hand, and they say, hey, come back to work tomorrow. I want a job. Come back to work now. Now, if you don't have an online profile, if you don't have a phone, if you don't have an email, if you don't have these things, it's it's a different generation. It's tougher in some ways, but it's also easier in some ways. So, what do you what do you see when you go to the colleges, then, or when you when you start to mentor people? What do you see, or how do you see the the generational shifts? How do they show up to you? Well. You know, everyone's different. And, you know, some people you see, they have an old soul, how yeah, you can call it. Right. Um, and a lot of it depends on how they were raised, too. Um, some people will see things within you that remind them of themselves and um, be naturally attracted to you. Okay. Right? You know how you, you'll just naturally get along with certain people? Oh, yeah. And then you just will naturally having nothing to do with anything that was said or done, just feel like, I'm not going to get along with this person. You know? Right, right. So uh, generally, what will happen is there'll be a natural attraction or interest, a common interest. Okay. And then uh, you, you, you generally will hit it off. When someone is comfortable, so I, I, I'll tell you a secret. I was also in the ministry for a time. That was a whole, that's a whole other thing. And we used to do uh, this thing called discipling, and that's helping other people uh, with issues in their lives. And what I found was if the person discipling you depends on their motive, right? Right. If they're just, man, I've never been a leader and I, now I've got an opportunity to lead somebody and do things. That's generally a bad situation. That's like a boss who's never had a leadership position and wants right. to tell everybody. But that's a heavy lift, right? Religion and discipling. Because you know the, the, the root word of discipling is discipline. Exactly. You know, so, so how did you... How did how did you how did you reconcile that? That's very that's very much my point between that and and the youngsters. It's relationship. If you have and can develop uh, commonalities in a relationship where they can understand where you're coming from and they can trust where you're coming from, and that takes some time to build. Where they can trust where you're coming from, it is a lot easier to have those challenging conversations. Right. If you have a challenging conversation with somebody you don't like, you distrust, and you don't believe a thing they say, right. it's not going to go well. Yeah. And you know what? The funny thing is now, in, in today's terms, we are talking about crucial conversations because that's crucial. what it's, that's crucial. what they call it now. That's what it, that's what the term is now: crucial mm-hmm. conversations. Mm-hmm. You know, and and but I, I never would have thought that you'd have been in ministry or dis- yeah, the yeah. same. Yeah, that's a whole other. That's a whole other podcast. How long but, did uh, you do that for? <laughs> But before, before I go there, um, but if you have, uh, you build trust and you, and you, and you see that, and, and, and trust doesn't mean that you're going to do everything perfect. Right. But if you, you, you put their, be- you, their best, in- you have their best interest at hand, people can feel that. People right. can sense that. People can sense, if you have more, much like with your children. Right. Like, listen, I'm not trying to get you. I, I'm not trying to take nothing from you. Yeah. I'm only here to help you. Right. Everything is an investment for me. So if I'm going to criticize you, trust what I'm trying to tell you. Yeah, yeah, you don't. Yeah. Want, it, it might not even be correct, but trust that my heart is coming from a place where this is my perspective. Right. You know, and, one time my son and me were, you know, you know how fathers and sons get into it. Oh, yeah, I did. And, <laughs> and he said to me, 
uh, like he was going to hurt my feelings. He said, uh, 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 I'm going to do better than you. <laughs> and Richard. And not oh, even man. having a clue. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm looking at it. Uh, you better get started. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You better get started because I don't have anything else to prove. Right. I've given you a place to stay. Right. I've fed you. You've got clothes. Right. I have followed the law. Mm-hmm. You made it to 18. You even had a car waiting on you. Right. I salute you. Then, then, then Alan and Aaron should have Mercedes sitting out yeah. there in the driveway. I'm excited <laughs> about that. Statement. Yeah, yeah. And that's how I train my sons. I'm like, listen, son, you, my, the why, the reason I'm challenging you is because you have to be better than me. Right. Well, why do I have to be better than you, Dad? Because your sons have to be better than you. Right. Because we need to grow this. Because we need to go back to that generational wealth. And the only way we can do generational wealth is by individuals. Right. You have to have individuals that make more individuals that make more individuals. We have to stop being ignorant about really what creates wealth and what's going to move um, groups of people from right. one level of poverty to another level of, of success. Right. And so it starts with one. And that's my whole motivation and goal for doing what I do is I want to see uh, people in general just come up and just be better from access to information. I can't tell you how much I uh, talk to people and and find out how they have the wrong information to be right. successful. Right. Um, and, and then that changes. There's levels to it. Right. There's some people, like uh, I had a conversation with um, a young man today, a young lady, I'm sorry. Well, she's actually, she's not a young lady. She's an elderly lady. But I said to her, I said, listen, you're thinking on the Susie Orman level. Right. That's good when you're just kind of starting out basics, but you know, you follow my advice for a couple of years, you're at a different level. Right. Susie Orman is excellent if you don't have any training and you're just trying to figure it out how to keep your bills paid and stay above water, but you're above that now. Right. So there's different strategies. Okay. That we need to introduce you to. We need to uh, let you know and, and exercise these strategies because that's going to build you wealth at this level. Okay. So, but we have, but it's a ladder. Yeah. It's a ladder and you have to start at step one, which goes back to why these youth organizations are so important because, you know, they teach you arithmetic in school. What good is arithmetic going to do for you to get a job and be successful? Eh, you do need to know how to count, but yeah. it's not going to really help you be successful. Yeah, they need to, yeah, because uh, life management skills right. now are not taught. I mean, checkbooks, true, checkbooks have gone away, but you still need to know how to write a check if something ever presented itself to you that way but exactly. now now if you wrote a check now they'll know if you got money in the account as soon as you pull the check out True. <laughs> True. absolutely you know back in the day you could float a check from time to time you know when you needed to make some magic happen but uh, that's that's a valid point you make because I'll tell you this for a minute there um, the young folks now they're, they're they're old and mature now but when computers came out Back in the times when we were youngsters, right. we were we were right there when it was happening. So we understand some of the reasons why they were built. Like some processes are built on some other processes. Now right. today, all you have to do is press a button. And if you press a button, then, oops. This thing was doing something that it's not supposed to do. If you press a button, it's right. supposed to fix everything. Okay. But they don't know why it's supposed to fix everything. Yeah. Well, we know why it's supposed to fix everything because that button resolves a whole long path that we've learned right. on how to do things. Yeah. And and so a, a lot of people today, they're just not, they don't have the, uh, the core underlying understanding 
of how things are, like the checkbook. Yeah. The checkbook helps you balance that balance sheet. Right. You know, the, you, you, you have the revenue coming in, you got the expenses going out. Right, right. And if you're not, if you don't have that core understanding, right. if you're it's not hard. Yeah. And here's, here's, a, here's another thing I think in, 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 in minority communities. Minority communities, even if we are not uh, fiscally sound, we still want to have the trappings or the look as though we are. So, you know, there might not be nothing in the refrigerator, but you're going out in that Cadillac, you're going out, you 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 kind of have those things reversed. But I get it too, to a certain extent, because if you've been working hard your whole life, you, damn it, I want something, something that's mine, mm-hmm. something that I can say, I can go down the street and feel good in, or something I can come back to and say, it's mine, it might be, peanut butter and jelly up in here, but it's, but it's, it's my peanut butter and jelly, you know? Yeah. So I get that, that, uh, that bifurcation or that split and how that can be a reality or something, you know? And it's, 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 it's real, but you have to kind of change that mindset and, and, and reverse it because a lot of times in black communities or in minority communities, people have it inverse. They, the bills, are higher than what's coming in, whereas you should be what you you know what you make should be higher than what's going out. Yeah, I call that uh, immediate gratification syndrome. Yeah. So you know the, through the marketing and the TV and the false videos and everything that's attractive, everything for people making money, um, they'll create some kind of system for you to buy into so that they can make more money. Right. But the reality of it is, is they're probably not living that way either. And the, the syndrome that I say, the uh, immediate gratification syndrome is we want things right now, right now, right now. Right. Like somebody will win the lottery and they'll be broke in two or three years. Yeah. The reason is, is they don't understand the value of the process. Yeah. Or the process is so new that we haven't had the opportunity to have the experience. Oh, yeah. But, 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 but I, I remember when I was, <clears throat> I want to say I was like 22 and I got a check in my hand. A, a re-enlistment bonus in my hand for like fifteen thousand dollars. Twenty-two. We were rich, huh? Fifteen thousand dollars. Back in back in what year? Nineteen. Yeah. Anyway, this was like nineteen eighty. I could probably tell you about nineteen eighty-four. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. And if I'd have been knowing what to do, Apple and Microsoft were just coming out. I should have put four thousand dollars. But you to, didn't have access to that information. Yeah, I didn't have I didn't have the knowledge, you know. Again, yeah, yeah. that's that's that was what's kept away from us. We didn't have opportunities to do that. We only have enough to buy some bread and some water and keep everybody fed. Right. We didn't, we're not educated in the things that help you build wealth. Yeah. We're educated in the things that allow us to fit into the system to build wealth for somebody else. Right. To go out and have a good time. And that carrot, they just made that carrot just big enough to make you still hungry. Right. 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 And, and, and that's the whole problem. Uh, but it's set up in a system where it's automated. It's automated. And most people are blind because, you know, they're, you you would have been happy if that... Man, you thought you were rich with $15,000. Right? I wasn't married. You know, I can tell you, I went out and just... Just, you know, I gave some money to my mom, you know, the rest. And '84, that was yeah. probably like fifty thousand dollars today. Yeah, yeah, but but <clears throat> when you're ignorant to it, you just have to really call it for what it is. You're just ignorant to it. Yeah, yeah, you know. And now, 
retirement and all this other stuff is, is what's coming into focus because now in, in, in my age now and in my age group now you're focused on how do I keep these income streams coming in how do I keep these income how do I generate this income because you know social security is not going to get it by itself anymore, right, right. you know so so so, sir, we are coming down to like about the last 10 minutes or so of our interview. And what would you like for people to know or hear or, or what would be your parting message to a worldwide audience uh, for your life in America? Well, my life in America, I, I think uh, uh, I think I mentioned earlier, I had a series of deaths in my family over the last five or six years. And... Um, that, that kind of uh, makes you sit back and think and makes you realize, wow, my whole, the whole generation above me is wiped out except for one uncle and one aunt. Wow. And it... Uh, it gives you perspective. It gives me perspective to think, you know, what am, what am, hey, I'm, I'm next. Yeah. What, what am I really here for? Yeah, what right? am I doing? Yeah. What am I really here for? And uh, my life in America, uh, I want to help as many people as I can. And what's good about... My focus is that uh, I've always, I've known for a very long time that I'm here to help people. Right. I'm here to, so I don't worry about money, maybe because uh, I've been lucky and, and been blessed. blessed in financial positions, but I don't worry about that. Now I worry about, you know, what, what is, what I've done, is it going to mean something for somebody else? So you, so you, you, you are looking at your legacy. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Right, and not and not necessarily my legacy, like in the movies, like no one will remember your name. <laughs> right, I don't really care, you know. Right, like, honestly, I just don't get that whole thing. But right. I mean, even biblically, it says you know things like that. But I'm like, I don't, I don't really care about that. What I care about is will they, will my family and people who I come in contact with, can I give them a lesson that will help them? That will perpetuate the success going forward right. in generations to come. I don't have to be acknowledged. I don't have to be remembered. But can something? Can I give something that's going to make a difference in people's lives? But I think I, I think the two are intertwined, Richard. Because just like when we started the interview, you remember how you was talking about your mom, mm-hmm. and you remember how you was talking about your dad. Mm-hmm. Every time you speak of them, you bring their legacy to life. Yeah, true. So I, I, I think <clears throat> I get it about being humble and, and everything else, but I think that's that's a that's a part of your legacy. Because here's the thing: when, when my children talk about me to my grandkids, they're not gonna be like, "Hmm, what was that cat's name?" Oh yeah, Papa Lee, <laughs> right? Well, well, don't get it twisted. Yeah. I'm not saying that my name won't be, because I, I got to tell you, my great, great, great grandkids are going to know my name. Okay. But I'm, that's not important to me. To me, that's not important. Now, whether it is or it happens or doesn't happen, that's a different, that's totally different. Okay. That's not what's important to me. What's important to me is the lessons that I taught. I can't remember where I got it from, but this is the important lesson to learn here. <laughs> right. As long as that's done, I, my job is done. Okay. I can't be responsible for whether they're going to take it up. Or not, but I can be responsible for did well, I leave it for them to be able to pick it up. Okay. So, and, and I got to tell you just real quick before we run out of time, um, I was motivated for a very, very long time to be successful so that my parents would feel good to know that, the that efforts. They, their efforts that they put in 
they did something good. Right. Because I came from a family of five kids and um, my parents went through a tough time when I was a teenager and I thought it was largely due to me and the troubles that I was getting in as a teen, which I won't go into detail. So when I became an adult and a man and moved to the other side of the country, uh, I was really motivated to be very successful because I wanted my parents to know that, wow, you know what? You did something good. Right, right. And so... I'm, yeah, it's funny that you say that. I am so glad that I got a chance to apologize to my mother mm-hmm. for some of the stuff that I put her through. <laughs> yes. You know, I'm so glad. Yeah. And man, she was just so proud. She called it, uh, when I retired from the Navy, mm-hmm. she, called it my re- she called it my graduation. Yeah. Who, um, you know, <laughs> what am I going to say? Yeah. <laughs> if, that's, yeah. if that's what you want to call it, then I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that, you know, but uh, yeah, and I tried to do so much. I tried to do I wanted them to share in some of those successes. You know, I wanted them to come to Bermuda. I wanted them to come to Italy. I wanted them to come to California. I wanted them to come to wherever I was at. But they would never leave Cleveland. It was just, yeah. it was just hard, man. It was just hard. I mean, my father didn't live to see me graduate from the Navy, but my mother at least made it to that. And, and, and I was like, hey, you know, I, was, I would be in Italy, Spain, or wherever I was stationed at. I got you. Come on over. Come on over. And she was like, no, I got the kids. I got the grandkids. Are you are you a first son? Uh, yes, I'm the first son. So I, I was reading this thing the other day, and it said, a mother's first true love is their first son. Wow. And the first son's only real love is their their mother because no matter whether you're married you might get divorced but one woman that will always be in your life right is your mother oh yeah 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 and like i said i think you keep people's legacies alive by speaking about them and just sharing your stories about them with other people and just just relating to how you came about to be who you are absolutely you know, and, and, and that's a that's a good thing because I tell my daughter all the time. I say, even though you know that time will come, I'll never leave you as long as I'm in your heart. Right. You know, and uh, you know, I tell my son the same thing, probably a different way, but uh, he gets the idea in, in the same fashion, the same way as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, Mr. McNeil, I thank you for coming in, and uh, if there's any last, I'll let you have the last words. Uh, is there any way for people to get in touch with you or, or if they're looking for a home or do you have some websites or something that you want to give me? Well, uh, absolutely. First off, glory to God. Give glory to God. And uh, I appreciate you having me. Uh, I'm, my goal in life is to help people out. So what we do, um, we have a real estate company and a mortgage company, two separate companies. Our, our real estate company is BGC Group. Okay. And uh you can go to www.bgcgroup.com and you can read up. I think I have a short bio on the website there. And our mortgage company is www.citi-capital, which is a C-A-P-I-T-A-L.com. There you can go and read up on mortgages. Uh, you can read up on, on what mortgage terms means and just get a general general information and feel free 
uh, you'll be able to contact me on either one of those. Okay. I'll uh, send a message, and I'm here to answer questions. Uh, again, uh, as I was on the phone earlier today, I'm, I'm here to help people. So don't pay anybody for anything. Call me first before you pay anybody. I'll probably give you the information for free if I have it or if I have access to it. Okay. Here to help. Okay. And uh, for somebody looking for a house right now, what would you say to them? I'd say always buy, depending on where you're at. Um, real estate, you can't look at it as a short-term investment. You have to look at it as a long-term investment. In the long run, we're not making any more property. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> and so it's a, it's a basic economics 101, supply and demand. Your value of your home is going to go up over time. Okay. And so uh, if, you, if you think not, talk to some people who bought houses 30 or 40 years ago and ask them how much they paid for that house. And how much they sold it for. And how much they sold for. Or how much they're still sitting on because you can use the money within your house to pay bills and to help things out. One of the things we do for a lot of people are, are reverse mortgages. Okay. Where it fits, it fits very well. Okay. Um, and it, it helps out a lot of people to... Maintain the equity, maintain the house, and not even have to make any more payments anymore. So there's a variety of programs, depending on your situation. Feel free to call me, 510-376-4713. That's 510-376-4713. And I can have a discussion with you and answer any of the questions that you may have. All right. Well, thank you so much. I was glad you came in, and hopefully maybe you can interview me one time and see what my life story is. There we go. <laughs> I look forward to that. All right. Thank you so much, sir.